0: We've been talking about healing for a past uh, while now, breaking free. I don't know about you, where you're at and where you're in this journey, uh, what stage you are, if there's even stages to this, but I hope that God is opening up your heart and your mind to some, maybe some areas of trauma, some pain, personal, whether you bring it on yourself. I've realized this more and more, that sometimes I bring the pain on, sometimes the pain comes to me and I don't ask for it, and sometimes it just happens. There's nobody who is the offender. It just happens uh, to us. And how do you make it through those pains of life? With an uncertain timeline, I can tell you right now, and an unclear pathway. Uncertain timeline and an unclear pathway. There is not everybody's going to go through the same path and not everybody. It will take the same amount of time. Uh, for healing and wholeness and breaking free from, uh, from, from the past. I said it last week. I want to say it again, that time does not heal all wounds however all wounds take time to heal. Okay, you have to be very intentional about it. It's not something that just happens accidentally. It's not just going to overwhelm you. You're going to have to be intentional about it. Otherwise, if you aren't intentional, you're just sweeping it under the rug. And whether it's 10 years later, 20 years later, in the case of Joseph, 20 plus years later in the case of Joseph, it's going to come back and you're going to experience it. And uh, so again, the timing of it is important that you do the work in the season that, that God has you. Because here's what will happen is you will focus on being successful over being healthy. It's easy to focus on being successful because that makes you look healthy. And so if you, if you focus on being successful, then you can put on the right clothes, you can drive the right car, you can have the right salary, you can take the nice vacations, and people on social media are going to wish they were you. And you can all along be a fragile shell on the inside. It's kind of like this. We all, hopefully we all have hands. Think about your hand right now, okay? And if you look at, look at this and think about your life in, in a couple of continuums. If you think about this long, uh, index finger down to, to, to where my, it meets with my thumb, I want you to think about this and I want you to think about this is the, the line of your life when it comes to what you do, how you perform what kind of grades you make, how you get promoted or not promoted. There's a part of our life that we really spend a whole lot of time focusing on that. That's the outer man. But then there's what I want to call the inner man. And not of us spend a lot of time on this area because this gets muddy. And again, the pathway to success is not as clear here as it is here. And so what we'll do is we will get lost in focusing on this continuum of uh, how am I doing, how am I performing, what's my, what's my accolades that I'm, that I'm looking like versus how am I doing on the inside. And if you take this, it's not science here, okay, and this is not an illusion. If you take those two and you join them up, a lot of people's lives look like that, where their, 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 their success continuum looks really good. Their outer side looks really good but their inside is not equal to the outside. Joseph is a person who became very successful. Just to give you a picture of his success, it says in chapter 45 of Genesis that he was the father of Pharaoh. That means Pharaoh looked up to him as dad. You're my father, you're the, and yet he's only mid thirties. Lord of his house, ruler over all the land of Egypt. Egypt was the great superpower of the day. So here's a man who's incredibly successful. But as we started in part one of our series, of our, of our message last week, all of a sudden, life happens. You get blindsided. You feel vulnerable. You break down. And you can go from being a 37-year-old man, mature, successful in life, to a 17-year-old boy again. If we don't make sure that the inner self is growing and becoming healthy like the outer self. But there's no clear time on that. And there's also no clear pathway on that. Sometimes it's like the cha-cha slide. Sometimes you're stomping. Sometimes you're moving backwards. Sometimes you're moving side to side. Sometimes you're jumping. uh, You're just moving around. And it's not one foot in front of the other. It's a slide. It's a cha-cha slide. It's it's here. It's there. It's I'm not going to dance for you. I'm a Baptist enough that I still don't dance. But uh, but uh, but anyway, the, the 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 fact is is that we kind of move differently, and you do the same thing when you're in the healing pathway. Not always does one come before two. Sometimes two comes first, and five comes before three, and and so on and so forth. The, there's no clear healing pathway. There's no set time for that healing to take place. But I want you to see this in the life of Joseph. He has moved on. 22 years later, I can clearly say he has moved on, but he's not moved beyond. He's moved on past the situation and past the, the toxic home life, past the the abusers he's moved on to a different world to a different country to a different job he's moved on but he's not moved beyond the wounds that he experienced when he was 17 when he's 37 they're just below the surface and so how does he experience his healing it's a journey as, and we looked at his life. We've seen this kind of ups and downs in the hills and the valleys of his life and how he started out with prosperity, ended up in a pit, went to a palace and was working for Potiphar's wife. And, and then she falsely accuses him, which lends him, lands him in prison. Then he becomes the prince of Egypt. Again, a most powerful man in the land, as we just read that verse. But then there was this day. Again, now notice this he is successful, but he's not healthy. Because when the past meets the present, and his family of origin comes back to, into his life, all of a sudden, he's a 17-year-old boy feeling naked and spied upon. It's a pretty dangerous, pretty precarious situation. We talked about these strides. Again, not all of them are the same direction. Let's hit them again for a quick review. Last week, we talked to just about three of them. This week, we're going to talk about four. And hopefully you'll see yourself somewhere in the healing pathway of of your healing. Be finding in your Bibles, chapter 42 of Genesis will be there in a moment, but here it is. One is that you anticipate the blindside. Now, it's been interesting since I shared that last week. I've had multiple people come up and say, I got blindsided this week. I ran into this person at the restaurant. I heard this song on the radio. I smelt this smell. You don't know when the blindside is going to hit you. You don't know how it's going to hit you and you don't know what it's going to do to you when it does hit you. But whenever you have experienced trauma, when you've experienced pain, when you've experienced betrayal, you just I'm not trying to scare you, I'm trying to prepare you. It's going to happen. It's a part of the healing process. And number 2 is you embrace your vulnerability. It's it it's it's going to take you from a 37-year-old successful man, uh, prince of Egypt, to a 17-year-old boy again. Afraid of his brothers, who were begging, by the way. He had all the power, all the authority, that he could have snuffed their life out in a heartbeat. He tried them and convicted them as judge and jury, put them in jail. You remember last week's message? But what had happened is He felt vulnerable, naked, it uses that word. He called them spies, looking for their weak spots. These are all trauma wounds coming forward to the present. Past pains will make a mighty man a mice in a minute. Number three, as you respond through God's eyes instead of reacting out of emotion, easier said than done. Easier said than done. But if you can get there, and again, I talked about last week and how what we saw last week, I really believe when I look at it is I don't know that Joseph fully unpacked and fully dealt with the trauma of his past, and I think we're going to see some more of that this week, but as he's doing, he, what he does instead of learning to cope with the pain and live in the pain, through the pain, he actually just covers the pain up. Masking is another phrase you'll hear. People mask it. What well, they mask it with? They mask it with anything that they can to deaden the pain. Anything they can to erase the trauma. Could be mind-altering. Could be life-altering. I'm a stress eater. You get me stressed, give me a bag of chips. I can nail that chip bag of chips in no time. I'm a stress eater. So it could be eating, it could be an addiction, it could be, it could be anger, it could be any number of things that come, come out of you when you experience this. Now hear what I'm about to say, because this is not only a, 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 a truth that ties to this, what happens, but it's also a, a preparation statement. We're starting a series after this series, the middle of October, called Messy Jesus. Look at the subtitle. Restoring Integrity to Our Sexuality. A lot of people in our day and age are self-medicating with an unhealthy expression and form of sexuality. So it's going to be a PG-13 series of messages. I'm just giving you a one-month heads up. But just because I say PG-13, doesn't mean you keep your 13 year home because it, I promise you, if you don't realize it, wake up. They're having conversations about this topic and these topics already. But We're going to go there and I need your prayers. I desperately need your prayers and we all need to pray for one another because this is an emotionally charged thing, okay, for so many. We just need to be aware of it and how it is a masking over, a covering over of what could be some deep stuff underneath. Let's talk about number four today. Number four stride in your pathway to healing is keep your expectations in check. What you might want to happen when you encounter your brothers walking in as your next appointment, as, as, as Joseph does, may not be what you... The reality may not meet your expectations. So what do you do in that situation? So take chapter chapter 42. And by the way, this whole healing process, and I'm not even covering all of it, but I'm just giving you broad strokes through it, is really chapter 42, chapter 43, chapter 44, and 45. There's a lot of cultural things that go on in here. And some of them is really Joseph not trusting his brothers and him constantly putting them to the test because he doesn't trust them. So just realize that when you read through that, what he's trying to do is he's trying to rebuild trust in them. He doesn't trust them. So in chapter 42, we have this time where we talked about last week, and I can't talk about that anymore, to say, uh, 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 other than to say this, is you can't control the other person in the story. So if you have been hurt, offended, traumatized in life by someone you love or someone that is a complete stranger to you, you can't fix them. So stop it. Stop waiting for them to come around to your point of view. Here's a life principle for you. Don't give your offender the power of attorney over your health, over your own healing. Whatever you've experienced, don't say, well, when they come and say they're sorry, then I'll get healthy. They may never say they're sorry. They may actually die and never say they're sorry. But can you learn to be okay? Can you learn to get healthy? Henry Cloud says it in our study that we're doing right now as a church, since you cannot get them to change, you must change yourself so that their destructive patterns no longer work on you. So let's enter back into the story. We haven't heard a word from the brothers. The brothers walk into Joseph's office. They're needing food for Cain and the land back home. That's under the same famine that's been going on for a couple of years now. But we come to chapter uh, 42, and this is what it said in verse 21. The brothers start talking to each other. And then they said to one another, in truth, now they're bringing the truth out. In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw, hear this, we saw the distress of his soul. What does distress of someone's soul look like? They saw it with their eyes. But not only that, they heard it with their ears. And when he begged us and we did not listen, I just want you to enter into Joseph's life for a moment. His brothers exploit him, put him in a pit, sell him as a trade. He's begging him to stop. Please stop. Please, please stop. Take me home. Do you hear that in his voice? They're seeing it. They're hearing it. But they're doing nothing about it. He begged that he would not, we did not listen. That is why distress has come upon us. The same words a word play. He experienced distress. Now we're experiencing the same distress. Nowhere in here, even though they recognize the truth, nowhere in here do they want to make things right. Of course, they don't know Joseph yet. Joseph is still hidden. But the reality is, is that even later on, they've told a lie for so long daddy doesn't even believe him in chapter 45 verse 26 he says they told him jacob joseph is still alive we'll get to this in a moment they still think he's not alive joseph is still alive he is ruler over the land of egypt and what does dad do what does daddy do jacob who himself had a problem with telling the truth heart became numb and he did not believe them see the reality is for 22 years they believed joseph was dead for 20, Jacob believed that Joseph was dead. For 22 years, the brothers were living a lie. And now dad doesn't know what to believe. The first lie or the second lie? Which is the truth? Just like Joseph couldn't trust the brothers. Here's another life principle for you. When you live a lie long enough, when you live a lie long enough, you have a hard time believing the truth. Because the lie becomes more about the truth than the truth. is out there. In fact, I'll just tell you this for for a quick landing on this. The brothers realize to themselves, they're talking amongst themselves, we did wrong. Even in chapter 45, when they now know Joseph is alive, you would think, oh brother, we're so sorry, we shouldn't have done this. They would have fallen at their feet and begged for his forgiveness and all that. Not chapter 45, not chapter 46. Not chapter 47, not chapter 48, not chapter 49. It wasn't until Jacob dies. It's amazing how funerals bring things out. Jacob dies in chapter 50. And finally the brothers start working on that word called reconciliation. Because see, brother had, Joseph had to get healthy even though his brothers never got healthy. Until chapter 50, and listen to the the fear that they're going through. In chapter 50, beginning in verse 15. And when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did. They were struggling with reconciliation. Now, here's just a good thing to remember. Forgiveness happens inside of you. And it may never happen. The, the, the other person, it happens inside of you. Reconciliation happens with both of you. And you may have to learn to let go of some of those pains so that you can be healthy. Even though five, six chapters later, before reconciliation even becomes a part of the conversation. I know this is splitting hairs, but please understand this is important. You may literally live your life and you're going to need to manage the expectations that you may never be able to make it right and reconcile. You may never get restitution. You may never hear those words, I'm sorry, you were right, I was wrong. You may have to go the rest of your life and live like that. That's a part of healing process that you're going to have to manage your expectations. You're going to do that through the word called differentiation. I know there's a business term of differentiation. There's an astrology term of differentiation. There's a biology term of differentiation. Look up the word psychology of differentiation. It's learning to be okay even if the other person's not okay. Joseph had to learn to get healthy even though his brothers weren't healthy. Which then leads me to number five. Feel your feelings. Your feelings are the voice of your inner man. Okay? Your feelings are the voice of your inner man. And it's not just asking, what is my feeling... Right now, but why am I feeling this right now? I'm angry. Why am I angry? I'm sad. Why am I sad? I feel betrayed. Why do I feel betrayed? What's going on? What's, the, what's the story behind the story? What's, 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 what's really going on? And I didn't say operate by your feelings. I said feel your feelings. Because what Joseph does throughout here, throughout the story of his healing from chapter 42, 43, 40, 44, 45, 46, he is going to feel his feelings, and he's going to embrace them. He's going to unpack them some. They're going to bring healing to him. You're going to see at times he's angry. You're going to see at times he's reasoning. He's of his right mind. And then he's going to turn right around and he's going to be weeping, literally weep. In fact, I don't know of anybody in the Bible, maybe Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, that cries and weeps more than Joseph. It's okay to cry. Chapter 42, verse 24 says, Then he turned away from them and wept. You're going to find in chapter 42, chapter 43, 45, two times. Chapter 46, you're going to find Joseph crying. Chapter 45, verse 1 and 2, it says, Then Joseph could not control himself. Before all those who stood by him, he cried, making everyone go out from him. It's like, get out of here. I can't have you in here. So no one stayed with him and Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He literally says, "I'm Joseph." We'll get to that in a moment. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard him and the household of Pharaoh heard him. He was an ugly crier. He was a loud crier for sure. And he was feeling those emotions and those were really real for him if you again been a part of this healing church study that we've been in henry cloud talks about the tear ducts are in the eyes they're not in the armpits they're not in the toes it'd be great if your toes cried because then nobody would see them right you have wet socks but you'd have nobody'd see you Uh, it's they're in the eyes and he said this and i totally believe it's true One of the deepest ways you can look at a person is look into their eyes. God, put the voice of your emotions right there. And neurologically, you can't help, but I guess you can help, but you will naturally feel empathy towards a person who's crying. So, feel your feelings. Tears are healthy for others to see. Tears are also healthy for us to release. Notice what happens with Joseph when he cries. And again, I know some of you are I go to church and I'm hearing about crying. Boy, it's a healing process. Some of us become stoics. Won't feel our feelings. Won't feel the pains. Genesis 43 verse 30 and 31 it says, Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brothers. 43. Don't miss this. This is chapter 43. Joseph's getting healthier. His heart of compassion for his brothers when he should be angry at them, wanting to get revenge on them. He he is not. His heart is changing. His heart towards them is changing. He is becoming healthier. Even those brothers are still not healthy. He is becoming healthier. And he entered into the chamber and he wept there. And he washed his face and he came out. There's something about identifying what we're feeling and what it's saying and how we can deal with that in the midst of the healing journey. Number six is let grace guide you. It's really easy to let law guide you, justice guide you, revenge guide you. Again, I mentioned intentional healing process takes time because fear or frustration, I think we see that initially with Joseph, but then he brings it back in check. If you're going, and we've given you as many resources as we can, we want to give you more as they come along, but I challenge you, and I still challenge everyone in this room, 40 days of forgiveness, a little simple Bible study. I mean, you can't get any simpler than this. It's about three verses a day, okay? Maybe two. Forty days of forgiveness. Been doing it for about twenty something days, and you know, I, I, I sort of as I think about, it. we have over a hundred and I don't know forty people doing this. So you could start it today. That, that, that I'll say it like that: two or three verses a day. Listen to this. It takes me about a minute to read those two or three verses. If I'm a slow, methodical, patient reader, a minute another minute to two minutes, I just meditate on it. What did I just hear? What did I just see? What, what, what did it say about God? What's it say about me? What's it asking me to do? What's the Word of God asking me to do? Thirdly, last minute as I pray within five minutes, I've opened the Word, I've read it, I've I've meditated into my life, prayed it into my life, and now I am on my way to hearing it. Let me read you one of the verses this week, okay? Two verses. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Because for some of you, this is where you're at. When it comes to pain and the trauma and the anger that you may be feeling, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander. You just He's given this laundry list of ways that we respond emotionally. We allow our emotions to drive us there. Put them away. Put them away. Oh, and by the way, there's one more. Malice. Don't let malice. How do you do that? You put them away. How do you put them away? By being kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving, One another as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. That last phrase got me. The last phrase had me. Because I'm sitting here in my time thinking of this offender that I would really like to slander. Let's not do things wrong, let's just say things wrong. I'd really like to give the other people the other side of the story. Because I got a side of the story too, but they won't listen. Listen. So let me just slander. I need to put that away. And what I need is I need to take up kindness. I need to take up being tender-hearted. I need to consider forgiveness when Joseph encounters his brothers. I can't give you all the story through, all the way through. You read it for yourself. He's going to challenge them. He's going to test them. He's going to give them grain. He's going to give them money. He's going to hide money. He's going to put a silver cup. There's a lot of interplay in the story, and you just have to read it. All that interplay that's going on between chapter 43 and chapter 45 is all him testing them to see if they legitimately are going to be repentant, if he can rebuild trust with them. But whenever they come back after one of those situations, chapter 43, verse 23, look there. And he replied to them. When they came back, they were feeling guilty because they thought somebody's going to perceive that we stole this grain from you. And again, I can't tell you the whole story. Just look at his response. He replied, peace be with you. Don't be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Again, I don't have time to go into the story, but just realize this. What he did was tender-hearted. What he did was kind. You go now back and read the story and tell me if I'm wrong. So here's the challenge to you this week. Homework, if you will. The person who's hurt you, offended you, traumatized you. Think of one way. You can be kind to them. One way you can be tender-hearted toward them. One way that you can forgive them. It didn't say reconcile to them. It takes two. But you can forgive them. That's up to you. Which then leads me to number seven in this healing pathway here. When you think about the healing pathway, here's number seven see God's hand in your pain. He's he's in your pain, just like he's in your blessings, in the good days. If you look at that list up there, where are you stuck? Where are you not willing to go? I can't give grace. I can't give law. I don't see God's hand at all. Ask God to open your eyes to see his hand. You've heard me say this before, never waste the pain. Go to chapter 45. This is the big unveiling. Remember chapter 42, 3, 4, and now 45. They don't know who Joseph is. They don't know that they're standing before Joseph. And then chapter 45 comes and he can't hold it back any longer. He starts weeping. He he tells them in verse 3, he says, And Joseph said to his brothers, drop the mic, I am Joseph. They didn't know it up until then. I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But notice the response of the brothers. The brothers couldn't not answer him, they were stunned. That's the amplified McDaniel version. For they were dismayed at his presence, their jaws were on the floor. They're looking across the throne. They're seeing their brother. They're now recognizing him. They're now seeing 22 years ago when they put him in the pit, trafficked him, all that. They're They're now replaying all of that, and they're probably sweating in their palms and in their pits, and they're going, oh, no, he's about to kill us. And what does he do? The very next statements he brings the hand of God in the situation. And despite all the pain and the abuse, and listen, I don't think God ever is in the abuse, but what can he do in the abuse? I don't think he's ever in the, in the neglect, but what can he do in the neglect? I don't think he's ever in the trauma, initiating the trauma, but what can he do out of that trauma or through that trauma that we experience? Chapter 45, verse 5, it says, and God sent me before you to preserve life. I'm actually the one who's going to save your life, not take your life. Verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve you as a remnant on the earth. Notice how God is a part of the story of his healing. It was not you who sent me here, but God has made me God works in this situation. God works in the brokenness of our life. Never waste a pain. When you look at the storyline of of Joseph's life, you see that whenever he dips back into the pain of his family of origin, he goes below the line. Remember that line is that that neutral position. Below the line is the painful. Above the line, but he also moves above the line when he deals with the past pain. Look at that chart up there. I think he was thrust into a deeper healing than he had experienced on his own. Because now he's dealing with his brothers face to face. He's dealing with the pain, the hurt, the betrayal, the brokenness. And I'm thinking, oh my God, how many times have you done that in people's lives? Jacob wrestled with you, God, and went out with a limp. And for the rest of his life, he limped. But that's a part of his God story. What about, what about Jonah? He was swallowed by a big fish, became part of God's story. Think about John the baptizer. He was a monastic. He lived an impoverished life eating locusts dipped in honey. I, I put the two together because I don't see how you would eat locusts otherwise. Dipped it in honey, wore camel's hair. And what, is it, what does it say about him? Jesus must increase, I must decrease. He lived this monastic lifestyle, and yet from that, God can can grow great. Paul was blind, so they became a missionary of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thomas, Thomas was the most unfull of faith individual, I was going to say faithless, but maybe faithless individual, of all the 12 disciples. He would not believe that Jesus had resurrected from the dead until he put his hand in his side so he could see him with his eyes. But what does Thomas do? Becomes the first missionary to the nation of India. Whom you can go to India to this day, to southern India, and you will find people who will trace their Christian faith back to the missionary Thomas. God uses our pains, our brokenness. Sometimes you have to go through the pain to see God's plan. I want to tell you this, and I want to close with this, and I want you to please understand, I, I hate even talking about this. It's a part of my story that's caused a lot of pain. It wasn't something I did that brought it on. It wasn't something that somebody did to me. It was something that I was born with. I struggle with dyslexia. I am not the sharpest tool in the shed when it comes to English grammar uh, I am, I struggle, I struggle to read, I struggle to write, I struggle to put my sentences together in a way that makes sense and is not, uh, uh, at times humorous. In fact, it's because of that humor, because of people laughing at me when I would read in class, because of my peers laughing at me because of my poor grades, that I, I began to go into a shell and just say to Mike, you're stupid, Mike, you're dumb. And in those voices in my head, as I'm wrestling through that, it was creating trauma. I would tell my friends that I'm not going to class, I'm going to study hall. I'd be skipping that class, but actually I wouldn't be skipping that class. I didn't have three study halls. I had resource room that I had to go to. Now, just pay attention to this for a moment. I'm feeling stupid. I'm going to resource room. And then God had the audacity to call me to be a pastor. To do what I'm doing right now. To write every week and research and pray through a six-page, single-spaced paper, stand before you every Sunday or at least 40-something Sundays out of the year and give an oral presentation to only have you go home and grade it at lunchtime. But I can truthfully tell you, I'm thankful I'm dyslexic. What has done to me, what it has shaped me, what it, how it has caused me to work harder than the average person to get what I, what, I, what I do. But let me also say this, it's still a part of the trauma of my life. When we as a pastoral team were going through the churches that heal, uh, our own time, and Jeff Reddick was with us, and he was kind of coaching us through. He had us take a three-by-five card, and I encourage you to do the same thing. Right on the front part of the three-by-five card emotions that you feel when you're in, that, in, the, in the washer, when you're being tested and tried. Emotions that you, that you go through. And then on the back of the card, write what voice those emotions are speaking from. And i tell you what, I broke down and cried when I wrote, you are stupid, is the voice that I try to cover up. What's your voice? What's the trauma? What's the pain telling you? Because the pathway to healing is not going to be the same for all of us. But when we can see God's hand, In our pain, it will bring us to healing, even if the other people never are healthy. Their healing is upon them. Your healing is upon you. Pray with me. Father, I know pain is real. trauma. There are people in this room that have experienced sexual trauma, trauma of neglect and abuse, some trauma that they brought on themselves, and maybe some trauma that they were born with, some pain that they look at and they go, God, why? God, if you really, then you wouldn't have. And God, you're using our pain. You're ruling and overruling in our pain. Father, I pray. I pray that you would sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. That word sanctify means to make whole and to make right. Lord, would you make us right. Jesus prayed that. Lord, Father, would you, would you make that true of us today? If anybody does not know you, does not walk with you, does not know what it means to see pain through your eyes, to, to experience grace and to be able to give grace to others, God, we'll never be whole, we'll never be sanctified, we'll never be made right. God, I pray for the people of this room, the people listening by podcast, Lord, wherever they are in this world, You'd bring healing and start it today. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us?